When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Here's a mathematical constant in any business, the 80-20 rule, right? So it actually breaks down to about 2% of a market controls about 50% of the money in that market. And so what we'd often strategically do is hone in on that 2%. The problem with that is it's not super scalable but it unlocks tens of millions of dollars. So that's the cash flow at the expense of the exit. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've probably not been as excited to have a guest on in a really long time. Somebody who I just met once and we've had maybe a few text exchanges, but as I dug into the background on Jason, I learned so much about how much I was doing wrong <laughs> when it comes to webinars and selling things online and product offers. And I just found his talk fascinating when I was at the Driven Mastermind. But what I found even more fascinating was our conversation after and him digging in and opening up and sharing some of his journey. You may have heard of this guy. He's helped or trained Russell Brunson on webinars. He's written books. It's just really fascinating on how accomplished he is. But what you'll hear in this interview is somebody who's really humble. And so with that, Jason, thank you for making some time for me and the listeners today. I know you're going to deliver tremendous value, and I just want to start out with the offer of gratitude to you. I received that, and I appreciate being here with you, Jerome. So this show's about exits, and if I'm not mistaken, you've had an exit or two over the course of your entrepreneurial journey. Would you, would you be willing to talk to us a little bit? Did you start out as an entrepreneur, or did you go into corporate America? Like, What was mm. your journey? Yeah, I definitely was not corporate. I didn't even graduate university, dropped out as a freshman. And I always wanted to be a, a rap star, actually. I was a rapper when I was young. 
I would rap in front of audiences of seven or eight, which is weird for a small town Iowa boy. But I was always fascinated with hip hop. And it's the only thing that was interesting to me. So I, the good news on that is I got really comfortable being in front of audiences and performing. What happened was later on in life, when I tried to do that professionally, it didn't go very far <laughs> for a variety of reasons, which are obvious in hindsight. And But I got frustrated. Because I've always been super intellectually curious. I always like to learn stuff. So I got frustrated. Why isn't this working? Let me learn about it. Let me figure out what's wrong. Maybe I can fix it. And that's when I started to discover business, which I would no interest in. And this was me being about 22 at the time, 23. I'm 40 now. So this is about 17 years ago. And I was not very interested in business. And then I, I, I noticed, well, I got to understand business if I want to do the music business. Duh, right? And then from that, marketing as a function of business was even more interesting to me. So I said, oh, cool. Let me try to market my music. And I'd run into issues with that that I didn't like so much. Marketing and selling entertainment is so challenging because the public's tastes are very fickle, right? Like what's popular rap music today? I don't know how. <laughs> if you would have jumped me in a time machine and put me 17 years in the future and says, this is what's hot right now. I'd be like, what? Are you kidding me? So the entertainment business is very challenging. It's hard to know what people will and won't like. And whereas marketing traditional stuff like selling solutions to people's problems a lot easier to get that right. And it's a lot easier for you to, no matter where you're starting, if you start from nothing, if you can get a little bit of leverage by just helping somebody and then help two and help four people seem to make more, more sense. So I kind of lied to myself. I didn't realize I was lying to myself at the time, but I said, you know what? I'm going to do this over here and start a business and market online like information and then take the money from that and feed that back into my music business. And then I never got back to the music business ever again. Just hit the marketing stuff and it worked really well for me. It took a year to, to turn the corner on it. Well, I started writing articles for other people as a service provider. And then from that, I taught people how I was writing articles, the system for how I was able to write a lot of articles, very fast, high quality on any subject. And people really liked that book. I published a little ebook. And so they're like, what else you got? And I'm like, what else you want? And I would go out there and try to build these little systems to solve these problems that I could turn around and create these little eBooks on. And that, that did really well. And then from that, I started to say, well, what else can I do? How else can I get better? How can I improve this skill, that skill? And, you know, got into webinars and, and did some other stuff along the way and then started launching some of the biggest campaigns that the internet's ever seen in terms of the spaces that we run in and the industries that we play in. And it's been, I've been at this business now 15 years, hundreds of millions of dollars later, a lot of stories to tell. But that's kind of my background in terms of how I became who I am today. So did you like writing? I mean, I know you liked writing rhymes, right? <laughs> but did you like writing when you were in like high school or mm -hmm. like that first year of college? Or like, how'd you get to a place where you knew how to write in a way that people would want to buy something at the end of that? Yeah. So I didn't know how to do that, which is important distinction because there's writing and then there's writing to sell. And those are two fundamentally different things, even if they appear similar. But I was always comfortable writing. I would write, like a friend of mine, he, he and I, it was weird. This is the stupid stuff we would do like in middle school when I was like in seventh grade or sixth grade. 
I'd write a chapter, hand him over like a notebook, and then next period he'd write a chapter and hand it back to me. And we would write these books on like silly stuff like fictional sports teams. We'd take like the Iowa Hawkeyes because we were from Iowa. And they're like, you know, the Iowa football team or the basketball team. We'd make up these teams and these stories and they were probably terrible, but we liked to write. And I would write rhymes, as you said, and I would write poetry and I would try to write short stories creatively. So at least I had the the muscles that were being developed to write. So I always kind of liked writing. And it wasn't a hard leap for me then to learn how to write to sell or to write content that people would pay for. It wasn't that big of a leap. And at the same time, it wasn't that big of a leap for me to perform. So like a webinar to me is not that different than performing in a concert or, you know, at a show. So I had a knack for those things. And I was fortunate enough to gravitate towards the areas of business where I was already very comfortable with and and already, I was, I knew I, I didn't have the friction most people had, right? Like I've never had a fear of speaking on a stage. I never had an issue with sitting down and writing for a long period of time. So I was able to gravitate towards the thing that I was really good at in business, which is ironic because like in the music business, I was terrible at everything else, but I had a lot of passion for it. So this was, I was fortunate because I was already comfortable to learn the skills in business and I developed a passion towards it. Whereas music, I was terrible at it, but I tried really hard. (laughs) So that was the big difference for me. But I didn't know it at the time, man. I just was like, this is interesting to me. I want to try to figure it out. Let's see what happens. So you dropped in a hundreds of millions of dollars later. How does that happen? Like most people would be happy to make a million dollars. Is that just a big list? Is that some secret? I know on stage you said something about the rising tide. Like, yeah, help me help put that in context for somebody who's out there and they're trying to get to an eight-figure exit, but they don't even have $100,000 in sales maybe. Yeah, I mean, Einstein said or supposedly said that, you know, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it benefits from it. He who doesn't pays it. And the compounding effect is so underrated. It's so hard to understand and wrap your head around. So the first product I ever sold online was $4. (laughs) And that was in 2007, four measly dollars, right? Not even a $5 bill, not even an Abraham Lincoln. And I, before that, I was charging, I started charging for articles when I was writing articles for other people, three bucks, $3.25 is where I started out. Then I went to four, then I went to five, then I went to six, seven, eight, nine, ten. got for brave the whole article? The yeah, 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 yeah. Cheap stuff, right? It doesn't, what I've discovered is it doesn't really matter how much you make up front. What matters is you put yourself in a situation where you can get better uh, and you learn something. And it's really hard to learn something if the stakes aren't there. So I was getting paid to learn, which is great. And then I knew the more I learned, the more I could get paid. So if I could just write an article twice as fast, I'd make twice as much money, that kind of stuff, right? So I was in it for the long term, not the short term. But so starting with a $4 product, you trade up. So you start to say, okay, this skill works. Let me master this skill so I can do it in my sleep. And that's what I did. And then I said, okay, now that I've mastered this skill and it's one less thing that I have to put any effort in to accomplish, where now can I add effort to, to layer on top of that? And so your skill sets compound. So everybody says I'm the best in the world when it comes to webinars. One of the reasons I became so good at webinars is because I created a lot of these low ticket products, these $4, $5, $10 type of products. 
So that trained me to teach in a structure, in a very specific format that I could easily put into the content section of my webinar because I had that as a building block and a lot of people don't have that. I've also compounded the goodwill of my customer base. So if we set the expectation really low with a $4 product and we exceed it, then it's easy to compound that into further goodwill in the future, at least attention. People are going to take a look at the next thing that the previous thing was really amazing, right? So I was able to compound that too. I was also able to just compound the reputation that I built along the way. So at first you're hunting and killing every damn deal you can find. If you know, if you don't go up in the morning and find it, you ain't getting it. These days and for the last really 7 8 years, more deals come to me than I could ever handle. So instead of me going out to find a single solitary deal, I get 8 deals that are put in front of me and I can pick and choose which of these 8 are the best. And by the way, what will you do for me? And so the negotiations are very strongly in my favor based on who I am, my stature, the results that I have, all those other things as well, right? So you start off and, and, you, and you just keep trading up and you keep compounding. And it's, it, it's, then it becomes logical how a $4 sell could turn into a nine figures worth of successes along the way. The other, the other challenge with this too is you recognize that there are peaks and valleys in every business as well. So there's ceilings of growth that you have to break through at every step in the process. So you you get to from zero to 100,000 is a ceiling. From 100,000 to a million may be another ceiling. A million to, to, to 10 million may be another ceiling. I don't know if it's that mathematically precise. It probably isn't. But the ceilings kind of work these ways. One ceiling is, okay, I can sell at a lower ticket price. That's easy because people are purchasing more for impulsivity than anything. At a high ticket price, eh, we better have our ducks in a row if we know what we're doing over there. So you figure that out. And then you say, okay, this is great, but if I'm going to be able to sustain this, I got to start bringing in other people and hiring them. That's a new skill set, right? Um, so you'll hit a ceiling until you can break through that. But once you break through that, then you can keep compounding to the next level. And then it becomes, well, okay, we're really good at this one method of selling. Can we get more than one method? Can we get good at more than one method? We're really good at this one method of traffic. Can we get more methods that we can also get good at? We've created these these products. as there other ways to leverage them? Are there strategic considerations of the byproducts from these? That kind of stuff, right? And that's how, as long as you continue to do this, you can you will grow. There was this this study I was reading about a year ago on the accounts that do the the retirement accounts that grow the most are the the best investors, okay? The best investors in the stock market are typically dead. What I mean by that is their estate untouched with nobody messing with it, just allowing the thing to compound over and over again, right? The best investors are dead because nobody's changing their investments. They're just compounding over time. The second best investors are those that have retirement accounts who've lost their access to log into those retirement accounts and don't mess around with recovering them or changing them when they move to a different employment, right? So their accounts just stay building over a 30-year period of time or a 50-year period of time or a 20-year period of time. This stuff is so boring, but that's the key to success. And so a lot of, once you get some momentum and leverage, the number one trick is to not quit, mm. just show up every day. And that's if you show up every day and you are even somewhat continually trying to improve some of the stuff that you do and not having too many weeds come into your garden, right? That is a big secret to going from a small amount of money to an unbelievably large amount of money that seems inconceivable. 
and it's both magical, but at the same time, it's completely mundane. The magical part is the outcome, but the process is mundane. That's right. Yeah. Process is boring, man. Especially if you have a system and you actually figured it out, but it makes it predictable. And I guess the predictability is the thing that makes it boring. So let me get this straight. You started selling stuff for less than Abraham Lincoln, right? Not even a Lincoln. How did you know that there was a problem? Like, how did yeah. you know that people would buy? I know you said it's impulse, but how'd you know? Well, first you, you, you look at your own problems. So my problem was, man, writing articles sucks. It's tedious. It takes too long and I'm losing money because of how long I'm making this take. So how do I make it faster? And I knew it was a problem for me. And then you look around and say, other people are frustrated with this model too of writing articles. Because everybody at the time, that was the internet, like this big deal back in the day, was you could write and publish articles on places like Easy and Articles and get a decent amount of traffic for free. So everybody was sold on that. But the, the problem was the implementation. It was hard to write articles. It took too long to write the articles. So I knew if I could just help people cut their article writing time in half, time equals money, people would be very happy for that. So in any market, if you're looking at any market and saying, man, if we don't even improve the output, we just improve the time, then we can win significantly. So if everybody's taking an hour to do it and I can show you how to do it in a half an hour, I don't have to make you better even. I just make you faster. And mm -hmm. so that was a problem. Once I understood that one problem, I applied it locally just to article writing, but then I started to apply it in other areas. I'm like, is the same true for email writing? Is the same thing true for creating content for a membership site? Is the same thing true for insert, you know, writing a sales letter to sell the product, right? And so for, I was a one trick pony for the first year is I just went around and sold instant gratification, as I called it. How do we take an activity that people generally associate long periods of effort and time towards and how do we shave off half the time? And it's amazing how you can start to discover those insights. But I, I went around like an antenna looking for those kind of issues and solving those, those problems. Later on, I got more advanced. I've discovered this is one of the biggest insights I had in my career is that people often don't buy things because of some sort of limiting belief that they have, not even related to your product, but related to themselves. And really so you could show somebody the best system in the world to launch an e-commerce e brand. And they could say, yep, that's the best. You're the best. Everything you show is second to none better than anybody else. And yet that person might not buy from you because in their head, when they were 11 years old, their dad told them that they could never do anything ever that anybody else would, would care to buy from them. You'll never, you'll never succeed in business. You must go and work for somebody else, right? Maybe a teacher or somebody that had some leverage over them, said that to them just the right way at just the right time. And here they are 45 years old and they still believe what that 11-year-old hurt, that they're just not going to be successful no matter what they do, which is challenging for them because they want to be successful. But this other part's holding them back, right? And so if we don't deal with that limiting belief, we will never help that person. And so these days at the advanced level, what I, what I seek to find are where are people really wanting a result? They're struggling to get the result in what potential limiting belief is stopping them. And can I unlimit that belief? And if I can, then even if I sold an average quality product, I'd get an above average result. Now we try to sell the best products possible, but we sell them to people in a way that allows them to not 
be as big as their excuse, which is as big as they can get right now. But if we can make them bigger than their excuses, then they're going to enroll in these products and not only buy them, which is fantastic for us, but they're more likely to use them and get a benefit from, from them, which is fantastic for them. And for you too, because you get the success story. I mean, and that's the compounding, the right? Like the yeah. more successful I make other people, the more successful I become. You fight for years, Jerome, just to get a couple successes. And then you wake up one day and one of those successes sells 400,000 copies of a book and they quote you in that book more than they quote anybody else, right? And then all of a sudden for the next year, you're living off of just that book from one of your early success stories or during the pandemic when everybody got locked down and everybody had to go to Zoom and I was the only person Zoom ever brought in to train their users on how to do webinars, right? It was like, you you work really hard for a long period of time to produce a success. You produce a, a, a lot of successes and you never know which of those successes will one day come back and pay you back a hundredfold or a thousandfold. And that's the beauty of this business. But yeah, that's the idea. The idea is if we can empower somebody, they're more likely to buy. And because they're more empowered, they're lo- more likely to be successful. And that's good for everybody. Howard leads to success. I love that. So- you go from selling $4 things to building a company that was exitable. Am I right? Yeah. I don't know if we did a good job on the whole exit portion of it. (laughs) I've exited some businesses over the years, but the main thing that pays for us is cash flow at the expense of exit for the most part, right? Which is a hard lesson that I've wished I could go. I don't want to really have any regrets because you can't undo it, right? But it's like, if I had to do it again, I would have done it a little bit differently. We would have built a little bit more enterprise value. Tell me more about that. You said you gave up cash flow for the exit. Because well, I don't I'd think rather, most people get this. We were focusing more on the upfront cash flow than we were on, on the, the exit of the project, right? So I'll give you an example. If I sell a super expensive software, which is what we generally do, here's a, here's a mathematical constant in any business, the 80-20 rule, right? 20% of your customers will spend 80% of your money. 20% of the market has 80% of the economic force of the market. Mm-hmm. And that's really awesome. And you can it's fractal. So the 20% of those 20%. So it actually breaks down to about 2% of a market controls about 50% of the money in that market. And so what we'd mm-hmm. often strategically do is hone in on that 2%. The problem with that is it's not super scalable but it unlocks tens of millions of dollars. So that's the cash flow at the expense of the exit, right? And and so we would build software that would sell for a whole bunch of money. And only if, you know, if 500 people a year bought a $10,000 software from you, how much money are you making? Or how much you revenue, gross revenue, right? It's a simple math. 500 times 10,000 is $5 million, right? Yeah. It's a software that you can never exit because the, the total universe of customers is about 500. And good luck having somebody acquire that that would know what the hell to do with it because they've never seen anything like it before the way that we develop marketing systems for it, right? I don't know. We might have ended up if we would have went for a lower ticket mass market offer, focus more on retention, on on recurring revenue and showing a comp- you know, showing somebody who wanted to acquire the consistency of the revenue so they could count on it despite the fact that they might not do anything innovative or give them the runway to do that, right? Maybe we would have exited for more than we made in cash flow up front. I don't know. I know for most people, the way that they'll make their fortune is more likely on an exit event than it is doing it the way that we've done it. And like I said, we've done some exits too. 
but it's only recently where we've been really focusing on thinking about the exit before the entrance. Whereas before we would we we would just roll it out there, see what happens, and then if there's an exit at the end, cool. <laughs> if not, whatever. So I want to make sure I got this right because you're you're talking at a level I don't think most people ever read about. So you built a business, basically product launches. You were figuring out how to get sales in the door, and those were one-time sales instead of recurring sales. And that led to really high cash flows. And then when you guys decided to exit the business or businesses, you were selling something that didn't have high recurring revenue. So you were selling maybe an email list and some other stuff. And that wasn't the big payday that most people talk about because you were able to take the cash off the table from the initial sales. Well, it's less that it's more of the number one thing I can do in business is spot an emerging trend. And then with some very effective calibrated marketing to that to the internal and external context of the market at the time, right? Optimize so thoroughly for that. So I'm really good at seeing, okay, the market is moving towards this thing. And the more we can speak the language of the market in this moment, because who you are a year from now is not who you are today, right? You never step in the same river twice. Both you and the river will have changed the second time you step in it. And so every market has very specific individual needs at the time. Uh, And the more you you can speak that conversation, the higher your conversion rate will be. The problem with is that the market changes and the opportunities change too. And what we've really done to help customers more than anything is find opportunities for them to play in where they don't have to be that good and be successful. Those opportunities always have a, a closing window of time. They have a short time horizon where if you, it's like getting on a bus, whether you're the first one on the bus or the last one on the bus, you get to go on the bus. But if you mm-hmm. miss the bus, you miss the bus, right? So we're getting people on the bus before it takes off. So we're really good at spotting these trends and opportunities and providing vehicles for people to to best take advantage of them. But they're very they're 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 they last a couple years at most. And so this gives us this affords us lots of cash. This is why we're so well known because we come in and we do these masterful marketing campaigns that sell all sorts of revenue that nobody else has ever seen, right? But when those are done, they're done. Um, There is there is. There's some tail to them. Don't get me wrong, right? Like there are tools we can provide to existing user bases to continue to use them and to continue to leverage them, right? But this isn't kind of this isn't like, hey, people will always need traffic, so let's invent Uber, right? It's one. It isn't one of those deals where we're trying to capture the other ninety-eight percent of the market that only accounts for fifty percent of the revenue. We're not trying to create a marketing force that even if it even if everything stays the same in its business as usual, there's some other massive advantage that makes that attractive to be acquired. Right now, we say all that because we're working a partnership deal with a company at this at this point in juncture who is building for exit, and we we're negotiating percentages as a result of the exit for the partnership that we would provide. Right. So we we work these deals, but they know that what we're going to do is create momentum so the exit can occur sooner rather than later. Because we can do the thing most people can't do, bring in large amounts of high quality customers at profit. Most businesses, the reason they exit for so much at the end of the rainbow is because everybody starved until they exited. 
because they poured mm-hmm. everything back into the business to continue to build more and more momentum. Got it. A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential, but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, aka the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. I want to go back to the beginning of the conversation because this is fascinating and it your trajectory, and maybe it's more your path than your trajectory. You're standing on stage in front of people. You, you've worked with some of the biggest names in the industry, info product industry. Did you feel perfect? Because I feel, I think a lot of people believe they have to be perfect to get on the stage, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they worry that somebody's going to know that something in their life isn't right. And that's why they don't get up there. So were you always there and like was everything outside of the business always great when you were doing this or did you figure out how to do it anyway well i mean you'd heard a little bit about my story jerome and i'm okay with speaking on it and on podcasts publicly now is like the childhood i grew up in was was very traumatic diagnosed ptsd with some adhd you know sprinkled in for seasoning And when I was 17, my mom went on the run from the feds because she was dealing crystal meth and they were going to catch her. And so she ended up doing six years in prison. So I I came from a lot of chaos, which if it doesn't kill you or it doesn't take you under and break you, it can churn, as I like to say, I, I, I was able to churn adversity into alchemy, but I don't know how. Because it was a lot. It's still stuff I struggle with to this very day to deal with. So I come from a lot of pain and suffering and a lot of tragedy and a lot of dysfunction. Now, here's what's interesting about that is a couple things. I'm working on a book now called Selling Through Trauma because I've discovered what I do when I market, sell. I call it all selling. I don't care if you call it marketing. I don't care if you call it webinars, if you're writing like a whole product launch formula, Jeff Walker style, whatever the case may be. To me, it's all selling at the end of the day. What I've discovered is the, the way I've been able to most resonate and connect with audiences is because I can I can empathize with the struggles and pain that they have, even if I can't understand them. And, and there's pains that I haven't experienced that are deeper than what I could even begin to fathom, right? But there's this shared ability to connect with somebody through that pain and to say, yes, I understand that it hurts. And yes, I know that there's some challenges involved and and my heart goes out to you, but we don't have to let them control us. They don't have to let them limit what we can do. And so I'm able to channel that and tap into that, right? The other thing too about trauma is for some people like me, the response is if I feel completely unworthy inside, the way I always ran it through, that's how I interpreted it in my childhood. It's like, if I would have just been better, then I would have been loved in the way that I wanted to be loved. So there must be something fundamentally wrong with me to not be taken care of. 
Like if, if, if I was truly worth loving, then I would have been loved, right? That's how younger me interpreted it. Not even necessarily consciously, unconsciously. That's just how I looked at the situation. I didn't think about, well, my parents were all messed up. They came from trauma, right? They were just trying to hold on. They couldn't even take care of themselves. How are they supposed to take care of me? It was impersonal, right? As ironic as that sounds, the, 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 the way in which I was raised wasn't personal. But I grew up with this fundamental feeling that I was broken inside and that I was unworthy. And in order to counteract that, I went out there and tried to prove my worthiness. Now, I tried to prove it by being super successful, right? Spoiler alert to that, by the way, the amount of external success you get will not solve the internal feelings of unworthiness. I hate to break it to to all of you right now. And a lot of the people you follow on social media, they are they are selling you the same bill of goods that they're trying to do. They're trying to be super achievers to fix some sort of internal issue. And then they're trying to advocate for you to do the same, right? So it's it's a very dangerous game. You got to be cautious of this stuff. But that's where I came from. So, so for the first 35 years of my life, I went out there to prove to myself and to the world that I was worthy of being loved. And so I was useful. If people appreciated me and said I helped them and said, because of of me, they were able to do great things, right? And I was able to solve massive problems they had in their life, and they were so grateful towards me. It helped, but it you know wasn't enough. But it helped. But that's where it came from. That was the drive and the motivation for me, and that's how I was able to be so successful. So if you see me looking up on stage and you think this guy has all the answers, is like, oftentimes I feel like I'm the most screwed up person in the room, except for entrepreneurs, and we're all screwed up. <laughs> Yeah. But in most rooms, I feel like an alien in my own skin. And and it was only in the last five years. So my first 40 years of my life, I lived it one way. I'm going to invest those and live a different way the next 40 years of my life. Because only in the last five years, I felt that I can take the best parts of all that, but mm-hmm. also build my life in a way that's healthy. So I, I can be healthy and I can be whole and I can be happy independent of any external success or in, in any term of any independent event that occurs. And so I'll give you a great example of this. Not once, but twice, I worked myself into a point of exhaustion to where I had to be hospitalized, right? Didn't know when to stop. That's a clear lack of understanding of boundaries in that regard. So it's like, okay, this is not useful to anybody if I put myself in a position where I go past my my own boundaries of healthiness. Then I can't, I can't show up for you if I can't show up for me, right? But when you have this feeling of trauma and you don't value yourself too much, of course, it's easy to work until you drop exhausted or drop dead, right? Yeah. But when you start to value yourself, you start to take better care of yourself. You start to take better care of yourself. Now you have another perspective in which you can bring into the conversation to help other people. It makes you more valuable and actually more helpful to them. This is what I find that's so fascinating to me, right? I see too many entrepreneurs who neglect their own loved ones and their own children um, to go out there and help strangers, right? There's got to be a balance between those two things. And so the good news in this is like, if anybody's looking at what I accomplished and think that I had it all set up in my favor and that I had some sort of advantage that they didn't have, I had the advantage of trauma and I was able to transmute that and use that. But I was as, I was as messed up as anybody could have ever been. So that may be, that may give you hope. <laughs> Yeah, I often remind people that we found five different, I guess, significant events in the life for somebody who's an apex performer, somebody that has a success, say, of yourself, like near-death experience, total financial ruin, 
losing somebody early in their life that they loved, feelings of unworthiness, people pleasing at times, and then some mental health issues, depression, suicidal ideation. And so, you know, I've been through all five of those. And it's interesting that you talked about, you didn't say it this way, but the mess being the message, Mm. right? That is the thing where you can connect. That is the thing where you can really create a relationship with people at a really, in a really quick time frame, and then use that in order to be helpful to them. The other thing that I found really interesting about what you just shared with us was that you basically, and you didn't use these words, and so I might be putting words in your mouth and you can correct me, but basically you chase success. I insert freedom, financial freedom, money in there. And we personally believe like that's the wrong F. Like everybody chases that, they get there, then they ask three questions. What was it all for? Is this really it? And then what now? And when they get to the what now, they're looking for something else. They're looking for fulfillment. That's the other F. That's the F I think we should be chasing. But the American dream doesn't talk about that, right? The American dream just talks about the money, the house, the wife or the husband, the two and a half kids and the two dogs in the luxury vehicle. And so I think most people, like once they actually get there, they look around, they have a very similar message as you, which is it doesn't fix the things that you think it's going to fix. Like all of this is an inside job and you can't fix an inside job with external things. Am I off on that in any way? No, you're totally on point now, you know, to the nuance is this, right? Like the things that you learn during that journey can be some of the most valuable insights that you can recalibrate towards. So there's not a whole lot that I'm changing, you know, or or that I did change in the last five years fundamentally from the first 35 years of my life. Um, Just a few things. So I still do what I do. I still care. I still go out there. I still try to leave my mark and contribute, right? I just have better boundaries now. I'm, I'm more smart and intelligent about the commitments that I'll make. I make room in my life for other things besides business. So I can be multidimensional. I, I'm more in tune to the other areas of my life and pay more value to them now than I used to before because I used to evaluate them on only one set of skills. Now I can evaluate them on multiple sets of skills, right? So it's amazing how close most of us get it and how little it actually really takes in terms of adjustments that are needed. So I have zero regrets in how I played the game. I'm just, I'm happy I was able to, at 35, realize that I didn't have to play it the same way anymore because I've seen too many entrepreneurs and so many clients, they don't come to that conclusion ever, or they come to it at 60 or 55 or 70 when the kids are all grown up and they've moved away uh, and they don't talk to them anymore, that kind of stuff, right? So I was, I'm, I'm glad that I saw it earlier than most, but I'm also realizing that if I'm teaching people the way that I used to teach them, I can only give them a limited viewpoint of of what they can do and hope that they figure out the rest. Now I'm able to teach in a way that I think is more effective too, which is my goal is always impact, right? And so I can now impact more and I can take better care of myself at the same time. So it's just getting better. But ultimately knowing that this isn't going to fill everything in my life, this business success is going to fill a small area of my life, an important area, but there are other areas too. It's not your whole life. I think that's important. 
Yeah. People talk about balance a lot. We we prefer the word centered because balance usually means that you're not making a ton of progress. So you said, hey, they never figure it out. When you were talking about the entrepreneurs, they just keep going. And then at some point they look up and they realize, man, I might have missed it. And so one of the concepts that we talk about regularly on this podcast is the founder's exit paradox. And that's what happens when somebody gets on the other side of the cell. Mm -hmm. And it feels really similar to an existential crisis where you begin questioning the meaning and purpose of your life, but it's different because it's triggered by a major accomplishment. Like that is the point where they actually can pause and actually think instead of just being totally engrossed in the business, the operations of the business and figuring out how to extract more value from this thing that they've been working on for however long it took them to do it. Have you seen that or felt that personally or seen that with any of your clients? Oh yeah, totally. And I mean, I've experienced that too. I, when I got in, you know, the webinar space, there was a period of time where I had to prove myself as the best and you go off on that mission. How good can I get? And then you become the best. And then you say, okay, now I'm number one. There's nobody else to beat. Like there's no, there's new, there's no new metric to push. We set a record for an affiliate promotion one time where we sold $9.8 million of somebody else's product in eight days. This is in 2015. We beat second place by about $8 million. So it wasn't even close, right? Nobody's came close to that record in a product launch as an affiliate since then. There've been bigger launches than that launch that we promoted. Nobody's came even within three million dollars of it, and and that's a not accounting inflation even, <laughs> and that was at the time of this recording eight years ago, right? Uh, and technology's gotten better since then. The market size has gotten bigger since then. Every indication should be that 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 record should be disrupted, and it isn't. It still hasn't been even touched. So what the hell are you gonna do? Like if Michael Jordan goes out and has the best game of his life, is he going to say, okay, now let me have a better game than that? And if he does, so what, right? So I I reached this point in time where everything was working towards something. And then when I accomplished it, it was the real question became, do I even go further to see how much I can push the limit? Because now you're working harder for less reward, right? To win the next edge requires a significant higher effort. And and the and the payoff is so small. Or do you say, do we start over and climb a different mountain, knowing how damn hard the last mountain was to climb? And you say, shit, I don't want to do either of those two. What the hell do I do? So then you try yeah. doing other stuff, but it all you feel terrible doing it because you're like, man, I suck at this other stuff. <laughs> I I want to yeah. immediately be an expert in something, and I'm used to being so good at things, and and now I'm sucking again. What do I do, right? And then you walk around and you feel worthless, and you feel confused, and you feel scared. So I've had that experience. The number one experience that most of my clients that exit is they either, you said it earlier, you say you look up one day and then, well, these guys don't even look up. Before the exit is done, they're already entering something else simultaneously. And even if they have a non-compete over here, they try to find ways to be able to do something over there, or they have some new project that they're going to take on. So they don't have to look up, right? So we see that a lot. They're not even looking up and saying, is this all there is, right? They're just keeping their head down so they don't have to confront that they're that they're that's even an issue. They just bury their head in the sand. Those that and we've had clients that have exited as well. And it makes sense. This is what I always say for these clients is essentially, of course, you're feeling the way you're feeling. You're taking something that you spend 70 hours of your waking time on every week for the last 
2,500 weeks or whatever the case may be, right? You know, the last 10 years for 70 hours a week, this is the thing you've done more than anything in your waking time, more than spending time with your wife, more than spending time with your kids, more than spending time alone with yourself, right? More than leisure, more than any hobby. Your whole life has been this, and now this is gone. Yeah, yeah, of course that's going to be crazy scary. Yeah, that's going to be hard, right? I mean, we're not really good with uh, this concept of gradual increase or gradual decrease. We're usually off or on. We're either introvert or we're extrovert. We're either happy or we're sad. We're either winning or we're losing. These are called dichotomies, right? And that's generally how the human being thinks. We're simplistic creatures that way. Um, we're not good at spectrum. We're not good at how do we taper off to go from 70 hours a week to 65 hours a week to 60 hours a week to 55 hours a week, right? How do we wind this thing down over five years? We're terrible at that, right? And so it makes sense if you have these abrupt shifts in identity of who I am and now who I'm not, it's going to be challenging and it's going to be tough. And so, yeah, we work with clients with that a lot of times. So the number one question that we just got to figure out is like, how can we do something that's going to be fulfilling? And then if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, then at least it was fulfilling. Do you see, we, we identify six centers of doubt and like their self-image, relationship, work, health, prosperity, and significance. Do you see them questioning the relationships that are around them on the backside of the exit? Like, what are the people in my life really after? Or does my marriage make sense anymore? Mm -hmm. Like, Yeah, I mean, well, here's what happens. When you no longer have business to preoccupy your thoughts, all these other problems that you've been able to ignore, they come back around and you can no longer quiet them down very easily. So it's natural to have all these doubts. And I mean, you are in rarefied air, my friend, if you go for a big exit. Who the hell can you relate to? You yeah. think your friends who, and who family are going to understand you, right? And probably not unless unless your family was there alongside of you when you built the thing, right? Which can be good. It can be bad, depending on how it was done. So guess what you tend to do? You tend to gravitate towards other successful businesses who've also exited and you just repeat the cycle. Now you're just business, business, business again. <laughs> then it makes sense why you're hanging out with them to start talking about the only thing that anybody knows how to talk about, which is more business. And then you're doing a business deal before you know it. It's like you're going to the crack house after you just got done detoxing and you just yeah. got healthy again. And now you're going to go hang out at a crack house, right? You'll probably relapse. So what do you say to the folks that are out there who are keeping their head buried or. I just try to be an word. example, right? You know, we got on this podcast and before we did, I said, I got to be out at this time because I got to go pick my kids up from school. Right. Yeah. And so I'm out picking my kids up from school. And at first I used to be like, when I had to do that, take them to school, pick them up. I was like, Oh God, what a pain in the ass. Right. Cause I can't start working earlier in the morning cause it would disrupt my work. And now it's become some of my favorite time because the kids, the kids behave very differently when they can't run away from you. <laughs> I'm joking in the sense of like, sometimes the kids could cause problems knowing that they could, they could, they can go and hide in their room or they can, yeah. you can't chase them fast enough to get them. But really ultimately is we're all looking in the same direction. We're all aligned. And I discovered that's such an easy, comfortable way in which to start to talk to kids and unpack things. More so than the traditional way of we'd sit down face to face and unpack things. It gives us a new way in which we can interact, which is really exciting. It gives me a break. It says, okay, I better prioritize my day faster. If I have to be at this time in this place to go pick the kids up, then I got to be ready for that. 
I go there and I get in the line and the line takes like an hour to go pick the kids. It's crazy, right? Like an hour to sit in a line to go pick the kids up. I meditate for an hour now while I'm in that line. And that just makes me feel more grounded. And then I'm in a better receptive state when I go get the kids. So the short answer to that is show it, don't tell it. If I can just be a better example, then other people will inquire perhaps if they're ready to or be open to the idea, what did you do? And if they ask me, then I can tell them about it. You've seen me only recently, Jerome, but the people that have known me from 10 years ago, I look much different than I did. Oh, you lost weight. I've seen the pictures. You've seen the pictures, right? Yeah. Yeah, I used to be unkept. I used to not shave. I had these crooked glasses that I didn't care to fix. I didn't comb my hair. I weighed, I weighed a lot more than I weighed now, right? I just didn't look that healthy. And and now look at me. So then they say, well, how did you do it? Well, then you can start having that conversation, right? I did it because before I really didn't care to take care of myself. Now that I care more about who I am and, and I value myself more, I, I valued everybody else more than I valued myself, right? It makes you a great entrepreneur at the expense of your own happiness. And now it's like I my values have changed. And so they say, well, how did you do that? Now it opens up a conversation, right? I used to think I could change the whole world. Now I'm like, I'm amazed if I can change a small portion of a tiny area of one little sliver of the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, though, is you... You focused on getting yourself right. And I believe change emanates from the inside. It radiates out. So you you fix the self and then the change that you want to see in the world is a result of the work that you did on the inside. So that's right. You made the comment of, well, who's going to relate to you? So are you finding that most people don't have anybody helping them with this stuff outside of figuring out the valuation? When they're going through this process of exiting? Yeah, it's a huge gap, right? It's kind of like it reminds me of back in the day, and they've now started to address this, but these these young prospects in high school and college that would get these That's huge true, true. deals for the NFL and the NBA, right? And then the, you, you take somebody generally who had nothing in their life and you put all, millions of dollars in front of them all in one fell swoop, right? Messes them up. Nowadays, they bring in the financial advisors and they do financial literacy it does again. It doesn't help everybody because I just saw. I don't know if you saw this. The, the, the you know, John Moran is throw, throwing another gun on IG again, right? Uh, he's going to throw his oh, career man. away. So some people are still going to act the way that they act anyway. But you can help some people earlier if you bring in these parts of the process and you anticipate them. It's a huge value add if you want to look at it from a marketing perspective. If you help people, but it's a double edged sword too, right? Um, sometimes people don't want to hear it. So you do you run, do you risk ruining the deal because somebody's trying to bring in a freaking meditative advisor <laughs> and you just want to get your pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So you got to calibrate it. But yeah, it would make sense if somebody was also who was helping with the exit had a resource to support them emotionally through it and to to anticipate in advance what's likely to happen. So that way they can help prepare them for it. But if, by the way, they were ignored, then they're likely to get them to come back and say, you were right. Mm. And so now they're open to listening to them because they predicted the future. The future was correct. They didn't listen. So they're coming back and saying, okay, I messed up. Please help me. And that's like the most leverage you could ever have to help somebody is when they ignored your advice, you predicted what was going to happen. It happened. And they came back. You still love them. You still want to take care of them. And you don't say, I told you so. 
but you say, okay, now let's, let's see if what makes sense. Greatest leverage you could have with the client. Yeah. We try to get people before they go over the edge because it can be really deep and dark if you're not careful when you go through that. Yep. Period. So the final question, man, and it's one that I ask every guest is who else should we have on the show? I mean, I know people who've exited running packs and this show is about getting the stories that most people don't actually want to talk about when it comes to success in business. You know, people just want to talk to you about the what is it, $63 million webinar or something you did. Yeah. 57.9 million dollar webinar, but you gave us gold today, man. And so is there anybody else out there that we should be interviewing? Let me think about that. Right. I might have a few people that I think would make a good fit for you. Okay. I appreciate it. And, I guess I said it was the last question, but it's not the last question. So the last question for you is, what's the one thing you want the listeners to take away from this episode, Jason? Oh, man. It just it goes back to that compound effect I, I talked about earlier. Is There's a saying that says people overestimate what they can do in a year and they underestimate what they can do in 10, right? So what are you going to do in 10 if you just did a few simple things every day repeatedly to build that momentum? That's how you can compound from a $4 entry point to the info business and exit out having sold hundreds of millions of dollars of product. That's the secret sauce, whether you guys like it or not. <laughs> there is no hack. Jason, this is awesome, man. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and giving us wisdom from your journey. It, it was really cool to hear you say, Hey, if I didn't go through that stuff, I probably wouldn't know some of the stuff I know. And yep. so there's value in the journey, the trauma. Somebody else I was talking to earlier today said, Hey, I want my kid's life to be better than mine. But if I take all the struggle away, then how do they actually learn how to be tough or learn the lessons? And I yeah. thought that was really, really interesting. And to my listeners, if you want the sort of help with your eight-figure exit in a way that would have been helpful based on Jason's account, not me telling you that would have been helpful, but somebody who's actually had an exit saying that, hey, that would be really valuable. Email me at jerome at jeromemyers.co. Until the next time, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.